Well, you may be passionate about your startup, but it's not always simple to find employees who are just as dedicated as you are. It can be a challenge to attract stellar candidates to work for your small business, especially when getting started. Part of the problem is that startup founders may be so focused on product, they forget they also need to think about their budding business culture. Along with branding to attract great workers, entrepreneurs also have to be savvy at interviewing and hiring, since small businesses have a lot to lose on a bad employee. I'm Rebecca Webb, founder of Portland Radio Project, co-hosting today with Mike Rogaway, business writer at The Oregonian. Hi, Mike. Hey, we're joined today by two experienced entrepreneurs to share insider advice on how to build a dependable startup team. We have Wendy Catilla, creator and founder of She Gets Business. Hi, thanks for having me. And Paul Anthony, co-founder and chairman of 503 Media and Events. Hello, happy to be here. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? Good. So I'd like to start by having each of you introduce your businesses a little bit. Paul, I've known you for years. Uh, you had a prominent company in Portland, Rumblefish, an innovative music licensing company. Tell us a little bit about your background as an entrepreneur. Um, I started my first business in high school. So it was a music publishing company. I've been in the music industry my entire life and went from producer and writer into licensing music and have been working in music and entertainment businesses my entire career. And that led me into working on Do 503, which is my current project. It's an event listing guide that you can use to see every show, uh, every night of the week in the city of Portland. Excellent. And Wendy, tell us a little bit about your background. I come from the different end of the spectrum. So uh, I spent most of my corporate career in working in education technology. So I worked for Adobe Apple and Google. And for the last five years, I've really focused on working with early stage entrepreneurs as an advisor, a teacher, and an investor, and really helping them understand how to apply big business best practices and small business know-how to start, build, and scale their own businesses. Like Mike said, uh, we're trying to give people some tips today on attracting the right team. So we're really grateful to have you weighing in on that. But before we do, Mike, let me ask you, because I read your article a few weeks ago about record low unemployment here in Oregon, and it's down nationwide. Does that make it particularly hard for people <laughs> to get a good team? Yes, that's absolutely true. Unemployment in Oregon now is the, the lowest on record, 3.8% now. It's the lowest since people started keeping comparable figures going back to 1976. And so the balance of power has definitely shifted in favor of the workers. So that's tough on large employers like Portland school bus contractors have a very hard time filling those jobs, getting people to pick up and drop off the kids. But it's also a big deal for small businesses who are looking just to hire their first few people. It's just much more competitive to find the kind of talent you're looking for. I think I've even heard about kids being left behind. Yes, unfortunately, it's happened uh, both far afield and at trips inside town. Uh, you know, parents are having to pick kids up from field trips sometimes. It's uncomfortable. So sector by sector, there are different kinds of challenges. Wendy, why don't we start with you and talk about in this, what you might call a worker's market, what is a good approach uh, for an employer who's trying to hire a team? I think it's really dependent on the size of business you're at, what stage of business building you're at. For the earlier stage business, the first thing that I would advise somebody to do is to really analyze the gaps that they have in their business in terms of skill sets and to understand where their own personal gaps are and how they can best use their time to grow their business. So for example, you can use advisors or interim folks to help you pull together great finances, or you can hire a bookkeeper on a project-based level or less formal than having a permanent team. 
But there's also other functions that you might need in that early stage, like a web designer or graphic designer or those kinds of things where you can really hire on a project basis, really depending on your needs. And that's, I think, a different conversation than when you're starting to build a team. Paul, can you tell us a little bit about your experience when you started businesses, when you've been starting out? What are the first positions you've hired for and how have you determined that's what you needed? Yeah, it's difficult when you start a business because you start wearing all the hats and you have to pick which one to take off first, right? So the best way that I've found to do that is you want to make sure that you're not giving away a critical function that really you should be doing. Wendy mentioned that use contractors whenever you can. It's a lower level of commitment in lots of ways, uh, both economically and culture-wise. But you want to have people who are pushing the envelope for you. So you need to focus on the few things that matter the most that you really, really need someone internal to work on. And I think it goes back to being able to describe to yourself as a business owner how the pieces of your business really work together. The wall needs to know it's a wall. The foundation needs to know it's a foundation. And the roof needs to know it's a roof. And if you can clearly articulate how the moving parts of your business work, the emergency roles will pop out pretty easily. That's interesting. So the first thing is understand what you're trying to do before you start going out and try and find somebody else and have them try and understand it. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting exercise if you have a small team to ask each of your employees individually, what do we do? Why do we do it? And what's our objective? And lots of times when you come in to advise a business, you get a different answer from every employee. Mm. And so if they don't know what you're doing, then how do you know what your role is and then what success is? So you have to really be ready to hire by being being organized. As the CEO aren't doing an adequate job of clarifying the mission. Yeah, the mission and how the pieces fit together to achieve that mission. And you'd be surprised. Most companies, their teams have a hard time answering who we are, what do we do, and what's the goal. Wendy, we talked a moment ago about what a tight market it is right now for hiring. Once that business owner understands what he or she is trying to do, How do they make their business look appealing to candidates to attract the people that you want? I think culture plays a huge part in that. I mean, there's a functional piece, of course. You know, this is the job description. This is what you'd be doing day in, day out. But I think culture is a huge driver for that. And it's um, something that's hard to describe um, and easy to feel. I think that's a huge part about retaining an employee as well, so that they feel like they're a part of a team, that they have equity, heart equity in terms of what's being built and are in it to to grow the business as part of a team. It has a lot to do with, I think, the onboarding process for a new employee as well and how the leadership is managing the growth of a team. And I think it's probably a lot easier if you're Google or you have a lot of resources and you can have gymnasium for the employees or free lunch on Fridays or something like that. But what about bootstrappers? You know, (laughs) what kinds of things can they do on a budget to create business culture? Well, it's funny because I have a friend who's the CEO of a company that has a huge office here in Portland, right? I mean, they're a a mid-sized company now. They were a startup and they have this office here. And he was remarking how this is the hardest. It's the market where they have the biggest problem because... (laughs) Here in Portland, what people really want is this flexibility, this lifestyle flexibility that he hasn't experienced in any other market. So I don't know if that's unique to Portlanders, but certainly we have a different lifestyle vibe than, say, the Bay Area. So I think it's really understanding what the carrot is for those employees. Family-friendly policies, you know, that flexibility, um, working from home is huge for a lot of people or the flexibility to work from home. 
and the ability, I think, to provide that without compromising what you need to do as a business. Well, I'm curious, you know, I, I used to visit your old office on the Central East side. It was a really funky, fun place. Did you find that that, you had couches, you had turntables, if I'm recalling correctly. Graffiti. Yeah. 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 It felt like Portland. It felt like the city. Was that a big asset in drawing the kind of people you wanted? I think it's a huge asset to attract a team, retain a culture, and to communicate your culture to your clients. If you don't know who you are, then what are you able to be proud of, really? And uh, we have, uh, in the different businesses I've been involved in, I think it's really important to state what you believe and to say, here's the principles that we guide our culture by. And there's certain things that go a long, long way. Like one of our popular sayings back at Rumblefish was, give me the good news fast and the bad news faster. (laughs) (laughs) And that was something that really just set up an attitude where it's okay to fail. We want to solve problems. Like if you set up principles, it's much better than setting up some sort of punishment for doing a bad job. Like, I'm going to write you up because you're bad. You have people probably making more intelligent decisions than they're understanding why they're doing something, the principle behind it, rather than the transactional nature of a task. Exactly. And the principle should go all the way into the culture. And that includes what the office looks like, how the team's encouraged to decorate their own space, and the principles of the company flowing through to how you treat Uh, an employee's desire to have lots of personal time or have that flexibility, because that is a very important thing for the workforce in Portland. You've given me a lot of ideas already for (laughs) our walls because we're still not done decorating the studio since moving in recently. So uh, we'll take up some more of your ideas. We also have with us a celebrity entrepreneur, Tyrone Poole from No App Fee, and he's going to be joining in just a couple minutes right after this. You're listening to Biz 503, the podcast for small businesses, startups, and anyone who wants to turn their idea into income. Biz 503 on PRP. Welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Mike Rogaway of The Oregonian, co-hosting with Rebecca Webb from the Portland Radio Project. Today on Biz 503, we're covering how to find and hire stellar startup employees. So because convincing folks to work for you is only part of the equation, you also have to figure out whom you want to work with. And that means interviewing and hiring. With us in the studio today, Paul Anthony Triano co-founder and chairman of 503 Media and Events. Thanks so much, Paul, for sticking around. Thanks. And welcome, Tyrone Poole, founder of No App Fee. Great to have you with us as well. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, Tyrone, tell us, you've got some news, man. No App Fee just got some funding from the city of Portland. What is going on? Yeah. So we just almost closed a really big deal with the city of Portland. We will uh, be the screening uh, tool for all of their affordable housing units. And uh, they also are backing us financially quite a bit. Cool. And would you tell us a little bit about how that works? The application? Yes, just a nutshell description yes. of No App Fee. So really quick, uh, No App Fee is a, an application that you can be able to download on your phone or go to the website. And uh, the new site will be called One App Oregon. And what you can do is pull your background check and it will screen you against every vacancy in the city. Over time, we'll get that entire database filled up. When it's done, it'll have roughly 4,000 listings. So it'll be like spending $200,000 in application fees and going to properties three years worth one of properties filling out apps. 
in 10 seconds from your mobile phone. So for a user, instead of paying one application fee after another, which mm-hmm. can really add up. Absolutely. They are paying one fee. Yep. And you learned this from personal experience. Yes. Give us a quick uh, thumbnail of that, please. Uh, yeah, so really quick, I actually uh, was injured in the fire academy, um, ended up uh, being hospitalized for nearly nine months. Um, I was on crutches for a year after that, uh, ended up uh, being homeless, moving into the YWSA homeless shelter, getting an award letter my second day in the shelter, and three months later being asked to move out of the shelter with a piece of paper in my pocket that paid rent anywhere. And that homeless that all that homeless experience was, it could have been a day, but it was all based on how difficult it was to find housing that I qualify for based on my background check. So uh, when the site goes live, it'll end that entire problem. No unnecessary homelessness based on the cost and time related to find housing. Be the change. Yep. Aaron, how are you building the site? Are you doing that yourself? Are you hiring contractors? Are you hiring I employees? Hire contractors to develop the site, not a coder whatsoever. <laughs> and how do you identify the type of person you want to work with? So I did everything the hard way. That's just my, that's my way is the hard way. It's so, the Portland Radio familiar. Project way too. Yeah, so so uh, any advice I always give is based off of all of the, the long, hard way. So for me, I probably made the same mistakes last hours make. My first hires were family and, you know, I get a little bit of money and I'm like, oh, I'm going to give my sister a job. I'm going to give my brother a job. I'm not even going to spend time talking about, that's just a horrible idea. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> As a general rule, As a no general family. Rule, I have never seen a success story of hiring an aunt, a nephew, or any of that, and then panning out to be successful. The second mistake I made was you're attracted to people who are like you, that think like you. And so what I did was I ended up getting a team full of me's and uh, we all had the same skill set. We all want to do the same thing. And so I didn't move as fast as I could have moved. You know, I pitched investment groups, but I couldn't get any money because we had no engineers on the team, no mechanics. Everybody was a dreamer. And so we just couldn't move forward. And so now my team is full of people who, a bunch of different skill sets, a bunch of different, you know, I bump heads with them all the time, but that's why we get the best product out. Paul, as I recall, you started Rumblefish in, in your college dorm at the University of Oregon. Is that right? That's right. At the beginning, were you- 155 years ago. So how many, how many did you say? 150 years ago. That was, right yeah. 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 That was my class. Yeah. <laughs> so did you go through that stage at the beginning that you're hiring college buddies and things like that? Yeah, we had the uh, intern army at uh, the early Rumblefish <laughs> days where I actually even gave myself an internship through the University of Oregon and got three credits to work for my company. But um, Good one. Yeah, interns were very useful. But what you quickly learn, and I totally agree with Tyrone, is that it's much better if you're honest with yourself and you find out what you're really terrible at mm-hmm. and you hire that first because that's what you need the most. And it's it maybe I'm curious, what were you bad at? Finance. Finance. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's been a big weak spot for me. And my the boards I've uh, reported to over time have made that explicitly clear. Uh, so I had to get much better at that over the years, but finance for sure. All three of our panelists, it's worth pointing out, have pointed to that need for diversity in the skill sets of the people that you hire. Too many cooks in the kitchen, can't have that. So how do you figure out that puzzle of who's needed and who's redundant? I mean, is there a formula for that? What role does your gut play? I think the gut's important in regards to choosing character. Like you have to really believe that someone's being honest with you and that you can trust them. But your gut's usually pretty bad at the logistics side of things, you know? Just because someone isn't cool 
or that you wouldn't go get a coffee or a beer with them. It has no bearing whatsoever on if they can be a successful member of your team. You're not hiring a friend group. You're hiring a group of uh, employees that need to achieve a task. And you should uh, gear it more towards, like I mentioned before, the principles and the culture of your organization. They need, definitely need to be a culture fit. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd go that way. Tyrone, you described a moment ago how you moved beyond the friends and family circumstance uh, to people who are filling a more professional need for your business. How do you evaluate those people, particularly for fields? Like Paul was just saying, he, he didn't know finance. You don't know coding, but you've got to choose somebody. Yep. Um, you know, my, my way isn't really going to be very helpful. <laughs> my, <laughs> my Try first, us. <laughs> my first coding company, my, what I had built was first to market, very difficult to develop. So the first company we went with, it was it was a big company out of Texas and I, they couldn't get it right. Um, so then I decided being not in the same city or state is too hard for a startup development wise. So then I picked a local company who after 30 days literally gave me my money back because <laughs> it was too difficult. And so I was stuck and I ran into a third company who delivered. Um, they were referred, which is a huge thing. Referrals are probably the best case of success you're going to get. Getting that cold call I got, which is how I found my first company. I bought a domain and bam, I got a phone call saying, you bought a domain, we can build a website for you. <laughs> <laughs> Not usually the best case. So it uh, the two things is referral and the ability to meet somebody face-to-face. Um, that's super old school. I know in 2017, people meeting face-to-face, but I get, I can evaluate how well this relationship is going to be if I can shake your hand and we can, we can hash things out in person. I love hearing these mistakes though. Isn't that a thing where uh, anybody, you know, who might invest in something, they really want you to have made some mistakes and learn from them and then explain what, how you're going to fix that the next time, right? Oh, and I think it's the most instructive way to learn is somebody else's mistake. And so I appreciate you sharing it so that we and our listeners don't have to step through that. Paul, when, when you moved from the intern stage to doing some hiring and looking for skill sets and you do an interview, tell me what your early interviews were like when you were building the company. Are you meeting at a coffee shop? Are you meeting in the office? What sort of things did you want to know about the person? Well, in the early days, I also did it all wrong. <laughs> I realized that I spent the entire interview talking about my company. And at the end, after not learning that much about the employee, I just said, well, they seem cool and maybe I'll call a couple of references or maybe I won't. And those are big mistakes. Uh, I, I didn't realize until later when I was sitting in on my employees giving interviews or participating in interviews, how common that is that a lot of people don't listen very well, don't really give the candidate room to to talk and they don't really think through questions ahead of time and, and aren't prepared. I mean, it's hard to be prepared for everything when you're doing nine jobs and you don't have enough money or time to achieve any of your goals, right? So, but it is really important, I think, to be prepared with questions and to give the candidate an opportunity to really sell themselves and also to give space to ask them what their questions are. I'm curious, you mentioned references a moment ago. How useful is that? Do people give you honest answers when you call and ask for a reference? No, you always get a a ridiculously glowing review of whoever you're calling about. My single question I call Um, references about that I'm interested in is what's one thing that so-and-so person could improve on? And you're totally putting them on the spot, but you know, that's why they're a reference, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good question. But just back to the idea of the interview for a minute, because I think it's easy when you get a lot of resumes to, you know, sort of be impressed by the accomplishments of a glossy resume. How do you sort of get past that in the moment and really bring out the real person? Get them to tell stories about their experience. And I like to have really pointed questions about what's something that you love the most and dislike the most about your last boss. Uh, how did you help an employee who was struggling that worked for you? Things along the lines of what, what's one of the more challenging problems that you tried to solve but didn't? You know, give them an opportunity to just speak from experience instead of just you know referencing their resume. Do you want to add to that, Tyrone? I think I may have hired two people total out of maybe 10 that didn't come from a reference. So it's extremely rare for me to post some like job listing and then interview people. Almost every person has always been a, either they've been working with our company from a partner company, like a marketing company. And then over time, will this person will leave and we'll hire him because he's been working with our team for six months or one of the developers and we needed it in-house. He just came from the development company. Now he works for our lead of IT because he was our lead for the last two years at his company. Or people are like, I have a really good friend who is really good at this stuff and he'd be great here. And and they give me a resume. But to be honest, I might glance over a resume and give it a whole 10 seconds. That's about it. It's till I meet you in person that I'm actually going to you know, know anything. So... You get to the point where you want to hire somebody or you want to hire a contractor to do some specific work. How do you have the conversation about what you're going to pay? That's a good one. You know, uh, the rule of thumb is for employees is different. So employees, you want to pay them a salary that they will be excited about, uh, but also leaves room for improvement, right? Mm -hmm. For a contractor, you want to pay the absolute minimum amount that you can pay for them to be successful with the work. That is how it's it's all in. They're going to try to get the max out. So uh, one thing is if I'm referred by somebody, which is usually the case, I always find out how much they paid hmm. because then I kind of got a frame of reference when I go in there. And my sister had a wedding recently and photographer on the website says $4,000. But I know that a person who she just did a wedding for was $1,500. <laughs> so I know going in what I was paying and it took 20 minutes on the phone call, but at the end of the day, it was $1,500, right? So it's a huge help if you know stuff like that. It's every aspect of business, information gives you the oh, leverage. Yes. Information is person with the most knowledge wins, usually. Paul, did you ever have a sticking point with somebody you were hiring that, hey, you wanted them, but you just couldn't meet up on the, the salary aspect of it? Like they were too expensive. Yeah. All the time. My lead um, CTO at Rumblefish towards the end before I left, we tried to hire him three times <laughs> and he said no twice. And finally, the third time we got him to a yes. And it was him just watching us evolve over time and us growing as a business. But we kept reminding him that we wanted him on the team and finally got him. But it's rough when you don't have the cash to afford the people you really need. And that's usually the case. When you finally got him, was it a matter of, hey, we've grown to the point where we can pay him a competitive salary? Or was it, hey, we got him excited enough about the business over time that you wore him down? It's like, okay, I'll do it. It was a little bit of both because with that organization, we came right out and said, here's how we think about compensation. We pay a little bit under market. We pay 100% of healthcare, the gold standard in healthcare. And you get stock options and our culture is fantastic. So we just said that right out the gate. And then I always ask, how much do you cost? And you get all sorts of interesting answers or <laughs> fumbles when you just directly say, 
How yeah, much do you cost? Talk or? a little bit more about that, both of you guys, because are there some rules of thumb? I mean, do you give your offer first or you try to get their number or how does that work? You know, I'm a, always a straight shooter because I just don't like wasting a lot of time. And that piece of the conversation, people like to hold out to the very, very, very end. And uh, I even find that a lot of people don't even put the salary on the lead, on the ad because they want to just, you know, get you hooked on the company first. Uh, like I said, most of the people who we've hired have come third part. But the few times I've had to hire from just a straight ad, it was usually the highest. It's the COO or the one that no one knows that guy. You just got to get him. And it is always competitive. The salary, you kind of got to find somebody who is bought into your vision because then the salary is not always the big key. If they have bought into the fact that your company is going to scale exponentially, if they're sold on the fact that where you're going to be in three years, then usually they make the sacrifice year one and year two. Now, there is a minimum they need to survive. So you got to figure out what that number is. And that's where the game is kind of played. Because it's like, I need to pay you as little as possible today. But you're going to have options. And if you see where we're going, you'll be there in a couple of years. So it's a little bit of a dance. But I like to be upfront about the opportunity and to see if we're aligned team-wise. And if we are, then we usually can work something out. I write primarily about technology for the newspaper and you know, one of the main issues we've had in tech is sort of the referral market has gotten too insular, or maybe it's always been too insular. And people are always hiring from the same group of people. There's a lack of cultural diversity within a company, but also a lack of demographic diversity. And I'm curious if either of you think there are particular hiring practices that a business can make, even when it's small, at reaching beyond your circle or beyond the stereotype of what a certain position looks like to find a, a more diverse candidate pool. Well, from a geographic perspective, it's way easier to hire in Portland from out of state than it's ever been. Because when we first started trying to, over the past 10 years, hire real talent from out of state, that could bring experience from a, a different market or a bigger mindset or even a different region of the world. It was impossible because there was nowhere else for them to work if it didn't work out. But and obviously it's more competitive right now, but you can bring in people from other territories. You're not just fishing from the Portland pool anymore. You can you can draw from elsewhere. And we're the cool kid in town right now. Portland's at where everybody wants to live. That's why our traffic's so bad. Curious about whether there are any intellectual property considerations in the actual job interview. Are you ever worried about, you know, sort of giving away your idea to every certain? single employee signs a confidentiality form? They in every one signs a form that says everything they build inside of during the process, any idea, every everything belongs to the company. What about during the interview process? I don't know if that comes up during the interview process, but that's kind you of standard give up in tech. Much. Oh, yourself. Um, well, no, I feel is live and I'm sure your company, your company is live. So yeah. it's, it, you know what we do. You know, um, and none of the guys I'm hiring is coders. So any of the patentable code is, that's a whole different company. That's third party. We got our own contract. So uh, everything inside is basically you're going to fill a void of the company. But during that process, you're going to come up with some cool ideas owned by the company. I want to come back to a topic we've been talking about a little earlier, which was the culture of a company. You can understand as an established company how you build a business and identity, and this is the sort of thing we're, we stand for. How do you do that when you're starting out, and how do you convey that to a company that doesn't have a long track record to prospective employees? Uh, there's got to be a reason why you started your business. And if you're going to dedicate all of your time and resources to doing that, then you certainly have a strong belief about what you're doing, or at least you should. If you don't, you should just stop because uh, that's what you need to be successful. So 
I think at the very, very beginning, it's just articulating passionately what that is. You know, why do you, why do you care about this? Why are you so willing to give up so much to pursue this? And why is it meaningful to you? And, and tell that story. And that's, that's the seed, that's the beginning of the culture. And it's always going to be the engine of it as the company grows in scale. Tyrone, is your company one year old? Is that right? Uh, no, we're four years four old, years. but we've been in the market for one year. Okay, you've so, been in the market for one year. Yeah. What's your pitch along the lines of what Paul was just saying? I think that culture starts when you realize that a person actually cares about you as an employee. I think that's the base of all culture. I've worked for big companies, small companies. When I was at Yahoo, I felt like I was number one, five, one, three, you know. But when I worked for the program, you know, I felt like I was valued. And even though I made significantly less than Yahoo, that was still one of my favorite jobs. I remember the owner once, or the director, during my birthday, his wife baked me cupcakes that they brought to work and they were on my desk. I mean, six cupcakes probably cost him two bucks to bake, but they were handmade and it made me feel extremely valuable. That culture is, it took nothing. How long ago was this? Well, this was... Seven years ago, maybe. And he still remembers these cupcakes. Yes. That's so cool. That's exactly. <laughs> we, exactly. We've, talk, we've talked a little bit already about some things that have gone right and some things that have gone wrong uh, in hiring. In the startup game, there's always this level of trial and error. Coming up, we'll look at common mistakes in team building and how you can avoid making them. Are you ready to turn your idea into cash? Or are you already launched and hitting roadblocks? Join PRP each Friday at 1 p.m. for Biz 503, the talk show for startups and small businesses. Welcome back. I'm Rebecca Webb, co-hosting with Mike Rogaway on Biz 503 today. We've covered ways to attract employees and how to navigate a smart hire. Uh, now we'll talk a little bit about what to do when things don't work out as planned. Back with us in the studio, Tyrone Poole. Thanks for sticking around. Founder of No App Fee. And Wendy Cotella, creator and founder of She Gets Business. Welcome back, Wendy. Let's have you just sort of piggyback on what we were talking about the last segment about the interview process, because I saw you sitting over there just going, oh man, when I'm talking to people, I want to know this. And how do you get out of them what you need to know? Actually, I was really appreciating what Tyrone was saying about vibe. I guess you didn't actually say use the word vibe, but it was more like the gut check about, is this somebody that resonates culturally with our team? Is this somebody that will be additive to what we're trying to grow here? And um, 10 seconds on the resume, that's that's a risky move. But <laughs> but I, um, I do appreciate what you were saying about it really being around trusted referrals and uh, culture. Tyrone, you said at the beginning that, you know, hiring family isn't the right way to go. <laughs> or how, friends. How did you break it to people when it's, you started to realize that wasn't the right way and you were going to have to do something different? I actually let my mom do my books. Okay. <laughs> that was the hardest let go ever. Oh, Ouch. Yes. <laughs> yes. I actually, I let her go after I hired, I'm a pansy when it comes to firing people in general. <laughs> and my mom was even worse. So I actually hired a bookkeeping company. And my mom really only found out when I was asking her to work with them to get the books transferred over. So I kind of like skipped the entire firing process and kind of like just moved it along. <laughs> uh, and the other time that I've, I've only had to fire twice. The other time it was my COO. 
Um, oh I got this really high level Intel guy who 15 years in and came in and, and uh, he was killing my burn rate. But at the same time, he wasn't productive for small business. Mm. And I was such a pansy to do it. So I actually called my head of the board and he flew out from Georgia to fire him and then flew back out the same day. Huh. Like, so I, I just don't do well with at least you didn't ask your mom to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was number two. I couldn't get the first one. Have you had to ever fire anyone, Wendy? I actually never have had to fire somebody. I've hired many people. Um, but I, it's one of the reasons why I love working with um, contractors is that it's a really low risk way. Paul Anthony was saying this as well. It's a very low risk way to fill the needs that you have in your company and also, you know, determine if it's a good fit and um, if it makes sense to have that person grow with your company. It's a more transactional relationship Absolutely. and there's no hard feelings if, if things break up. Yeah. When, what advice would you give to Tyrone or anyone else who's going to have to learn to do that? How can you make that process easier? Well, for Tyrone, you know, Mother's Day is coming up. So I see a giant bouquet <laughs> <laughs> coming to mama's way. Um, you know, I actually guide people. So I, I teach at a local nonprofit and I teach at PSU. And then I have this separate company focused on um, women and entrepreneurs. And I teach um, how do you leverage technology to fill the spaces that you need. And, you know, I say that you don't need to hire somebody specifically here in Portland. Um, so, for example, I have um, a copywriter in Canada. I have a web designer in Australia. I have a another person who does social media for me out of London. And we use Dropbox. I use LastPass, which masks my password information. So it enables them to do the work they need to do, access my accounts, but protects my intellectual property. Property. We use, uh, did I say Dropbox? We use Google Drive. So um, I basically teach people how to use these things because when you do that, then you can get the job that you need done. You can hire the people that you need. And it really is easy, affordable, and on your own terms. I think that's very powerful. Indeed. And Tyrone, when you stopped hiring your family, <laughs> what mm -hmm. were some ways that you networked in order to recruit the right people? So... I was part of the PDC challenge. That's my first intro to the whole space. So I was the winner of that challenge and I came with this huge network. And from that network, I just grew it. Mm. I just, I, and then I also did a lot of competitions and won a lot of competitions. And then it kind of opened my network up and just kind of grew from there. But always meeting with people. I meet with somebody for lunch probably once a week, minimum. in mm. 90% uh, of the time leads to nothing, but the network is still there. When you're building that network, how do you evaluate whether, hey, this person is going to be useful to me versus, hey, this person's just sort of, you know, on the scene? <laughs> so it's funny because you have to treat them like baseball cards, right? So like you have the a card that's low value, not very useful and probably just really niche, you know? Like, oh, I ever come across that situation, which is rare. But then you got like the mayor or somebody who this is like a really shiny card and you can use this one. It could be really powerful at some point, but you just don't know when. But the important thing is you keep all the cards. Mm -hmm. And so at some point you just have this Rolodex that you can you can pull from. And that's kind of how I, and then the ones that I have that are. A really big cards, you know, like the ones I'm like, I got this person's cell phone number. Right? <laughs> At any time I can call him. Uh, you just don't overplay him, like, because that can be a mistake, you know. And it's very much like as a reporter, you know, I, I've got a few of those cell phone numbers too. And <laughs> right. I, may, I may never call certain right. people, but once in a while, you know, you might have to. Mm -hmm. yep. You yep. don't want to overcall those, uh, those particular people for sure. Yep. So what about inter-team or intra-team potential conflict? 
as uh, the person who's in charge of, you know, creating the dream team for your startup, what happens when you have, you know, one employee and have a little friction with another? I'm going to turn that over to Tyrone because you're probably (laughs) dealing with that, right? So I have, uh, you know, it's funny, the employees, I haven't actually had high friction employees, but I have had high friction investors. Mm. I have had the board disagree with each other Mm. in the investor level, which is almost worse than employees because you can't fire them. You spent their money already. (laughs) They're stuck. So now you just got to figure it out. But at the end of the day, it's just the way you communicate is key. Like you can be upset, but you just have to always be respectful. Never do anything by email because there's just no way to tell the tone on that. So Mm. you just got to do everything in person. uh, And and sometimes the problem won't be solved right away because there's times where we are just like, we're going to break from this. And then you reset and you reset and you come. It might be the third board meeting before this issue is finally put to bed. So, but yeah, I guess there's no like silver bullet to solving those problems. Just patience respect, and I can kind of get past it. Okay. I wonder if Paul wants to weigh back in on that. I wasn't sure he was still here, but great. Welcome back, Paul Anthony. (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because you've worked with quite a few people over the years. Any uh, intra-team conflict ever? Uh, Whenever there's conflict between two employees, I usually like to tell them the first time it happens or if someone's new, new to the team, that it's my expectation that they before bringing a problem to me, try to work it out amongst themselves. And I'm not a principal, you know, and, and that's been very effective in saying you train your team that if someone shows up to you, your assumption is, and then my first question was always, have you talked to them about it? So you guys can work it out because you're both adults. Yeah. Good advice. You mentioned this is one of the first things you, you tell people you're onboarding them. What other kinds of things do you tell a new hire? You just be really clear about what your expectations are and communicating what the company culture is and what the objectives of the business are. And it's really helpful, like I mentioned before, if everyone's singing from the same hymnal, right? If they hear something from you, then they hear the same thing from the rest of your team. So I think it's really important. It's almost more important that you have your team on the same page in terms of having a successful hire than just focusing on the hiring part. Tyrone, are there, are there things that you try to communicate to a a new hire, this is who we are, this is what we do? I don't know if we, if I say it directly or just very quickly, the culture of the company kind of just, just kind of takes over you. Like it's pretty strong, driven. I, I think what I do is kind of impacts more than what I say. My team knows that I'm the first there, I'm the last out. I will outwork them no matter how hard they try to keep up. And that just kind of drives the whole, you can't be lazy on this team. It would, it would show up too brightly if you were lazy. So I think your actions do, and at least in, in my company, it, that's just how I, I don't really talk a lot about what the expectations are. I just do what I need to do and they kind of do it. Can I add one thing there? In terms of a company that's scaling, when you're starting to take on employees, you know, I mean, one of those functions that's really important to have at least outsourced is HR, <laughs> mm-hmm. because there is a legal aspect there as well. And, um, you know, a lot of times you have younger company founders or inexperienced company founders or people who are rock stars at a particular thing, but, you know, are not HR experts. So it is, I think, very useful to have, you know, a set of expectations around behavior as well. Um you know, that keeps the company protected uh, and also sets a um, parameter for what's okay in the workplace. 
curious because I think you've all three experienced unexpected growth at times in your companies. I think you're experiencing that right now, Tyrone. And just what happens, you know, with the team dynamic or what is your advice to a founder or a CEO when there is this, you know, sudden growth and how that changes the dynamics among the team? Well, I'll tell you from my experience, um, which is right now, it is for the founder, it's extremely stressful. My last two hires both make 120000 a year, which is extremely high for me. But I had to make those decisions to get them to buy in. So like, and they also come with their own level of like, they don't need me to babysit or train. They actually want to be self-sufficient and they want to truly take over pieces of the company. And that level of growth, it can be stressful. It can be hard to take on, but I think that's for all entrepreneurs, that infancy to adolescence time where the business is making that change, it's a glass ceiling that you got to break through. Yeah. When you are growing really quickly, it's it usually serves you to empower your team and give them bigger uh, set of responsibilities than you're probably comfortable with. Because if you try, if you're the bottleneck on too many things, everyone's going to hate your guts and you're going to get nothing done. So you got to not think you're as amazing as you think you are and give your team the opportunity to be the star and give them just a little bit more responsibility than you're comfortable with. And they're either going to rise to the occasion or they won't. And you're going to figure that out later if you're successful anyway, so you might as well expedite it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you have to check your ego at the door and empower your people and trust your people to do the job that you hired them for. And I also think if you're a company that is um, seeking investment or has investment. I mean, one of the things that your investors is looking at is your capability as a CEO. And uh, that part of that is really being able to put on the CEO hat and hand over the baton for these other functions to other people. You're the, you own the vision of your company and you're hiring the folks who are going to do the, the mechanics of the other things. Excellent. And while those are coming in, I, I guess I'll ask you guys, a little bit about employee evaluation. When you have a, a new hire and, and a young company, how do you start to set up the process of evaluating those people? How do you formalize it? And what are you looking for? When do you gave us some HR advice earlier? What are yeah. your thoughts? I mean, I think in fairness, it starts with setting out clear expectations for what the role is and, you know, what what key performance indicators you are measuring the employee by. Um, you know, I think it would feel very, very frustrating to have an evaluation based on a set of criteria that hasn't been uh, communicated mm-hmm. um, and having it... Um, Having a having that a clear process also ensures that every employee is being treated um, equally and fairly, uh, which I think contributes to a positive work culture. Tyrone, how often do you formally evaluate your employees or give them at least some directed feedback? I usually give direct. It's pretty rare that I give feedback. I never evaluate, so that's something I need to start doing for sure. I, I rarely give feedback, and it's usually only when my expectations aren't met, which is usually hard for them to meet my expectations because I don't do a really good job communicating that up front. Mm. So uh, that's a whole learning space for me because employees is a whole new thing for my company. I mean, it's literally over the last six months from a two-person show to a six-person show. So I love your heart. Thank you for being so honest with us. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> in the fire. Fantastic. So Paul, do you want to say anything about evaluation before we go? Yeah, some things that we've done that have been uh, very uh, helpful is before you, we evaluate quarterly. I almost always evaluate quarterly. And 
you give the team an opportunity and uh, we always did a weekly meeting, uh, like an all hands meeting to get everyone on the same page. Just give the team an opportunity to say at a high level, what are we doing well? What, what can we do better? Um, and that, that sets the table for and the company being responsible for the mission and not really pegging something directly on one person, creating like a witch hunt or a martyr for something not going <laughs> right, you know? Um, and it gives the opportunity to kind of let the air out of the room before the actual evaluations happen. And starting each evaluation by having your employee uh, honestly evaluate you and mm-hmm. giving yourself up to say, what am I doing well? What could I do better? And then let's talk about you. Because it, it just empowers them to be vulnerable enough to be doing something wrong, you know? And then I also think, and Tyrone mentioned this earlier, is that you should really care about the success of your employees. And the purpose of an evaluation is to help them be more successful. Businesses aren't anything other than the sum of the skills and experience of your team, right? So your job is to make them successful and then they make you successful. Excellent, Paul. Thank you. And Tyrone, Wendy, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Next week on Biz 503, we'll talk about how to pitch to investors to give your startup the financial boost it needs. Thanks for joining us today for Biz 503 on PRP. Have a great weekend. Support for Biz 503 comes from Amix Law Group, offering trusted legal advice to startups and small businesses. Amix for business advice.